Merkel Media. I guess it's time to go back in time. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? Time is but a stubborn illusion. I have a lot of memories of the past. People are time traveling within themselves. Time travel is possible. Shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face, they basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blow his head off. And I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I saw three long bony fingers with like claws on the end reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. It's almost like they're unzippering our reality. They stick their heads through it and they look around and if it looks like the coast is clear, they step through the rest of the direction. If you take the head, you get the whole package. If you don't take the head off, then what happens is they disappear. This was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. But then I look over to my left, on the far side of the room, and there's Jack. And he's got blood on his face. He looks at me, and he just says one word. Oops. I've been killing ETs longer than most people have careers. I reach my hand into this bush and I touch air. Couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. Okay, I'll reload it. Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals. I am your host, Tony Merkel. Thanks for being here. If you've had an encounter or a story you'd like to share on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. That's theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the connection section, and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me. Just get a hold of me. Now, let's get into this week's show. We're bringing on Timothy, who's seen a lot of different things throughout his childhood just outside of Chicago, stemming from angel-like entities to demonic-looking things coming out of his ceiling while he's laying in his bed to a friend who might have been demonically possessed at his house. And what happened there is pretty crazy. So hang in there with us, and we'll get into it right after this.
All right. Tonight I have a good guest coming on here. Timothy, how you doing, man? Doing well. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. This is actually the second time that we're doing this interview uh, because the first one that we had some audio problems and I wanted to get this show out for people. So uh, we're, we're re-going at it and we're going to do it and it's going to be great. And uh, I'm excited actually to hear your stories again because it's actually been a while since I heard these stories and we were just kind of rehashing them a little bit and it was just bringing back the memories a little bit of what we talked about in the first interview. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, that's right. I remember this. And as he started talking about things like, oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm definitely excited about having you back on here to redo this interview and uh, get things going. So uh, let's just start out with uh, Chicago. And you lived in Chicago. Chicago and you're a twin and some things happened in the house with a maid and uh, I don't want to kind of give your story away so I'm going to just let you take it away from there uh, what happened you know what was going on sure so uh, I, I'm originally from Chicago I now live in northwest suburbs of Chicagoland uh, but yeah I'm from the south side and that's okay, everybody that, you know, likes the Cubs and whatever, you don't have to hate. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we, we lived in this house. Uh, there, there was a lot of interesting things that happened in the house. There was some tragedy. There was some, a lot of people that came through there. Um, we, my mother was kind of, um, we kind of just adopted uh, just a lot, of, a lot of people um, that weren't even family. We actually did foster care for 21 years. Um but before we even got on the foster care system, we, uh, you know, our friends, people, people needed help, and you know, they could live with us, things like that. So it was just kind of kind of the family I grew up in, and even now, like that's kind of what we tell our my boy, you know, we're 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 everyone's family. And uh, <clears throat> anyways, so Chicago, uh, and pardon the accent if it comes out. <laughs> uh, I remember my youngest memories. I got pretty. I have a pretty good memory. I've never gotten drunk, never did drugs, anything like that. And, um, pretty healthy guy, so I, I don't know if that contributes to it or not. But um, we also had some pretty traumatic events in that house, um, so my memories are pretty keen on it for the most part. Uh, I'm not always in chronological order, but um, details are there. So one day, um, I'm coming up the stairs. Um, it was a it was a two story bungalow. Uh, with basement, um, old, old brownstone, old brick brownstone. Um, and we're on the south side of Chicago and, and my, my twin brother and I kind of had run of the house. My old, my older siblings were all, I think in college, uh, my sister, I think was married with her own kid by this time or headed there. Um, uh, my one brother was, you know, in the military, uh, and, uh, it was just kind of me and my twin and my, my mom, my dad had passed at this time. Um, he, he, uh, he had taken his own life, um, a couple of years before this, but, uh, I remember one of my earliest memories is kind of going up the stairs and he kind of had to do like a 90 degree turn, uh, you went up these little stairs and you took like a hard left and, and then you shot up, uh, half a dozen or so, no, but probably like a dozen or so stairs actually. And on your left-hand side, as you're coming up, was like a banister area, almost like a, almost like a porch. Uh, and there were some, I think, some closets on the left. And there was one window. So as you're heading up towards the bedrooms, 
uh, one of the bedrooms on the right. My mom's bedroom was straight ahead of me. Uh, and then this little area, this little landing was on the left. And there was only one window, and it was kind of shining from behind you uh, over the over sort of that that area. And I, it must have been early morning because I, I believe that window faced east. So uh, the light was coming through it. Uh, the dust was kind of kicking up a little bit. And I looked over uh, because I thought I saw some movement. And what I saw was I, I saw this old maid we had, uh, you know, old Polish maid. We're a Polish family. Um, just, she just looked like an old babushka. You know, she had a, kind of a frumpy blouse on her skirt. Blouse, almost like a one piece. I don't remember if she had a, an apron on or something like that. And she had a broom. And she's just kicking dust out right, right in that landing. Uh, she's just sleeping, and, and the sun's kind of coming coming through her. Uh, I don't I don't believe I remember seeing her feet. Uh, she she moved. She was moving. She seemed a little bit transparent, um, but for the most part, she was she was fairly fairly solid. And I think she had a bonnet on, uh, or, or maybe a do rag. Um, I, I honestly. At this point, I don't remember entirely, but yeah, the most right. So I just thought she's just a maid, sweet, you know, like oh, okay, you know, this is an, this is an older lady. She didn't kind of look familiar, but um, I just thought it was one of my mom's friends or just some maid we had, uh, you know, just some woman sweeping. We had old people that came over all the time to visit. Uh, we had there's like old people lived across the street, and and like I said, the rest of my siblings and stuff are all older, uh, so my my aunts and whatever they're they're up there in age two, so I just kind of I looked at her. She looked at me, kind of smiled, you know, just like a little head nod and a smile, and just went, just kind of didn't mind mind me at all. I was like, oh okay, she knows me. <laughs> you know, I'm just a dumb little kid. There's nothing terrifying about it, nothing scary about it. Went on about my business. Um, when I came back, I don't remember seeing her again. I don't remember it uh, seeing her in the house. I don't remember. But she wasn't still doing it when I came back. I don't know if I went up to get a toy. I don't know if I went up to play in my room. I, I honestly don't remember. I don't remember my brother being there. Uh, it's just me. Um, so years later, um, I got to talking to my mom, and you know, we were just talking about you know the Chicago house, and and I was always intrigued. We didn't spend. I don't, I don't remember many years there, you know. So I would always ask about Chicago. Uh, the time in Chicago, and uh, I said, "Well, who's who's that old maid? She was like a Polish maid we had. You know, she was sweeping and I described her." And my mom's eyes kind of like lit up a little bit, and she was kind of like, "Oh, you know, well, we we did have the maid. We, we actually did have the woman you described to a T. She had dark hair. It was kind of a bob cut, um, or it looked like a bob because I guess all the front of it kind of coming through her. You know, what I presume is a bonnet or whatever." And um, and she's a little heavy set, you know, frumpy. And she, she's like, yeah, but she's like, but we fired her when we found out you guys were coming because um, my brother and I were kind of a surprise. Uh, well, yeah, we were a surprise, but uh, <laughs> so they couldn't afford they couldn't afford us and you know, a housekeeper. Um, so. So they, they got rid of her. My brother and I were born, and, and you know, there's the rest of it. But what was interesting is she was still alive. She lived, um, I think, just a couple blocks away. 
she would walk to the house, do her thing, whatever. She was still alive. And I, and I actually saw her on several occasions in the flesh uh, after this event. Um, but my mom's like, yeah, yeah, she's, she's, uh, she was, she, you know, she's still alive. She lived down the street. And as she said that, I started to remember, oh, oh, well, yeah, you know, you're right. You're right. Cause, cause the grocery store was, I don't know. It was like everyone would walk with you had those carts, you know, the grocery carts, yeah. the two wheelers that the old ladies would push, right? And every now and then, I would see someone that that in the face looked very much like this this person that I saw sweeping. And I put two and two together after the story. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, she was alive. And I was like, yeah, but my mom was like totally surprised. She, was, she wasn't there. She, she we, you never saw her in the house. She never came over. She never was, you know, she never stopped by to sweep or do anything after that because we couldn't afford her. And so that was kind of, that was really interesting. So I, I don't know what that was. I don't know if it was, you know, people talk about residual energy. There's, you know, by location, um, which is usually attributed to like saints and stuff. <laughs> but, uh, it was a real interesting event. Um, I, 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 I remember it very, very well. And there's no way that, um, there's no way it could have happened because of the circumstances, you know, it, she wasn't actually there in the flesh. And it wasn't until years later that when I talked to my mom, that we put things together and, and I, I came to the understanding that she never, she wasn't in that house while we were born. So it was a little weird, you know, a little, a little weird thing, but I, I remember that to stay. Never asked my brother about it. I don't know if he ever saw her or anything like that. My twin that is. Um, can't remember the lady's name. Um, I think I saw her maybe twice, um, or someone that resembled her that I assume is her, um, after that event. It wasn't prior to that. It was, it was after, and it was like, you know, just before I moved or something. But, um, and my mom really had to go like, no, she was this, you know, she lived there. She, that was pretty interesting. Yeah, it's absolutely interesting. And like you said earlier stuff, I mean, uh, you, who knows what this, this is? I mean, is it residual energy? Uh, you know, it, if one part of me is like, you know, can residual energy happen when the person is still alive? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. But, you know, I've heard of these types of stories and stuff. In fact, uh, I was talking to uh, the show's artist, uh, Alika. He lives in Hawaii, and he uh, listens to the shows before they're broadcast. And he that's how he does the show art. He, he listens to the interviews, and he uh, ex- expresses, you know, what he hears through his art. And uh, he was listening to the audio that I sent him initially before we realized the audio wasn't going to work. And he heard that and he started talking to me about some experiences that you know he's had in in hawaii very similar things where it's like somebody's alive but they appear somewhere else and it's like it's very it's very odd and uh it's just one of those phenomenons in life that you know how do you explain that you know it it is a residual energy or you know was she you know up to something you know did did she have the ability to uh do some kind of remote viewing or something like that it's Mm -hmm. it's very interesting very interesting um experience and especially since the fact that you did see her you saw her after this initial experience in the house right like you didn't see her before that right i i I saw what I presumed what was her based on, you know, what I can remember in my mom's, you know, I, I, you know, cause I, I didn't, I didn't, when I saw this woman, I think I saw her twice. Um, 
I think I saw her once after I broke a neighbor's window and, and she kind of like caught us. <laughs> and, um, but I remember her face, you know, and it, there was a familiarity to it, you know? And, and then later on my mom described it as like, Oh, that must, that was probably her. Um, cause she had, she still had that look. It wasn't like that was her work uniform. That was just what she wore. And, um, and yeah, we, we saw her, I saw her afterwards, but I, you know, I cannot recall seeing her prior to this event and again, like there would be no reason for her to be in the house, you know. So I don't know if um, it wasn't like she was a family friend, you know. She was a hired, she was hired help, right? Uh, so it wasn't like, oh, just come over and sweep whenever you want. Like she was doing us, a, you know, a, a good deal or something like that. But uh, yeah, and, and there, and, you know, maybe I don't know. Maybe, can a person project? You know, you hear about astral projection or whatever. You know, you know, what if she's in her house or another place and she's doing that in that moment? And for whatever reason, you know, the veil's lifted or there's an eventual barrier. I, you know, who knows what it is? Um, and I'm seeing almost her wherever she is, you know, but it's for whatever reason, that, in that dimensional uh, time frame, I'm seeing it from my house, but maybe she's sweeping someplace else. You know, I, I don't, you know, anyone's guess is as good, as, you know, as anyone else's. But I've heard stories, you know, of, of like preachers and stuff, you know, um, preaching in two places at the same time. Uh, really? Just, yeah. 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 Um, I've heard, uh, I think it was in Africa. Uh, one guy, um, said that, uh, he was, he was teaching in a church and he also uh, was, was teaching in another church. Like people, people remembered him and remembered the sermon. And they said, no, you were here in person. We saw you. And they, and there was no, I mean, it was, it was like, you know, miles and miles and miles apart from each other. It wasn't like someone, you know, it was a group of people that saw this. And, um, you know, my, my background, um, I went into ministry, um, volunteer ministry, never got paid, never went to seminary, nothing like that. But um, I ended up being a youth pastor, uh, just retired. My wife and I did it for over 10 years uh, and worked full time and everything else on top of it. But, uh, so, you, you know, we have these traveling missionaries come through. So I, I kind of grew up in the church my whole life, um, off and on. Uh, and we, we heard these stories, you know, and some of these were pretty fantastical. I just grew up hearing them, you know, so I just, I just, you know, I believed them, you know, because I didn't know any better um, or didn't know what was possible, what was impossible. I mean, I, I remember a story of a guy, uh, one guy getting a call where he, um, uh, it was like a town five hours away or something. And they said, look, you know, this person's falling ill. They're about to die. You need to get here so you can pray over them. And, uh, this is like way back in like the eighties or something like that. Uh, and he goes, okay, you know, I'll, I'll leave now. And it's like a five hour drive. He steps off his back porch and he steps onto the steps of that house where that person is having the issue. And somehow, you know, wow. he was transported. And he was able to, just, you know, pray over them, whatever, and he had to get it right back, you know, but it was like this. You know. So yeah, I don't know if that stuff's true. I don't know if it's anecdotal. I don't know, you know, some guy coming to our church telling these stories, you know, to get more, I, you know, who knows. But uh, I've heard more than a couple of stories like that. Yeah, I mean, we've we've heard stories of that in the Bible. I mean, uh, teleportation. Yeah. Uh, so it's, you know. I know not everybody that yep. listens to the show is a Christian or, or believes the Bible, and I'm sure I have plenty of atheists that listen to the show, uh, which is fine. You know, uh, we all have our own opinions and our own thoughts and stuff, and it's it's a great platform for us to just kind of talk. Uh, but 
it's it's very that's a very interesting thing man that's a very interesting thing uh wow that's that's crazy that's <laughs> that's crazy so um yeah go ahead i'm sorry go ahead no no, no. i was just going to figure the bilocation thing um it's, it's not limited to a, a christian worldview i mean there's there's shamanistic um people that have uh, reported the same thing there's 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 all kinds of you know so i don't know if it's a human attribute where i don't necessarily believe that's specifically related or tethered to a, a particular religious philosophic system. So, you know, just to you know, appease the rest of your audience. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, you know, you told me earlier that your mom, uh, saw your dad after he passed. Uh, you want to kind of go into that? Yeah, man, I'll go into that. So, like I said, my mom had a pretty tumultuous, uh, upbringing and uh, relationship with, with my father, my biological father, not a good guy. Um, uh, he had, you know, again, you know, usually bad people are poor, poor individuals have a poor upbringing as well. So he had a crap upbringing, uh, was an alcoholic at the age of eight. Uh, his dad used to give him, you know, would have these card games and give him sips of alcohol from the table, um, just to kind of get him to shut up and leave him alone from his boys. And, uh, that's how I grew up dealing with stuff. His mother made bathtub gin uh, during Prohibition. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's hardcore, man. She was, she was like, uh, uh, just from the old country, you know, dude, old school. I don't know how many, you know, how many neighborhood people went blind from it, but, but you know, she, they, that's how they got through Prohibition, and that's how she made money. So he kind of grew up around that, but it was a very violent, you know, um, unloving environment. Um, he, you know, later on got involved in the PD, but was not a, was not a Chicago PD. He was, he was a hardened dude and not a good guy from what I understand. And um, at some point, um, and I was very young, I want to say I was probably, my brother and I were, my twin and I were probably about around two, two and a half. Um, he he uh, took his wife on, on our front porch after threatening to it was going to be a murder suicide is what it was going to be. And by the grace of God, he couldn't get, he couldn't get in the house. We don't know how, um, I believe there's divine intervention there because the man had a, you know, police issued, uh, Cobra, uh, 44 Cobra, Cobra. I mean, that, that thing, at that time was the largest handgun in the world. And he could have easily gotten through our door with just a couple of shots, you know, right. and he had an arsenal. From what I understand, he had an arsenal in the house. That's how they actually paid for all the arrangements is they sold off his arsenal. Um, as my mom didn't work. So anyways, he ends himself. And, uh, the story is, and, and I asked my mom about this before she died, because I was actually teaching um, a class on demystifying the paranormal in my church. And I said, Hey, you know, I remember you telling me this, can, can we go over it again? You know, cause I need, I want to make sure I got the details and I'm not adding to it. Was this true? And she said, yeah. So what had happened to, uh, um, you know, everything goes down, you know, the, the, the horrible event and, uh, they take him away. And there, there's some really interesting kind of things that happen around that, um, whole ordeal too. Um, because he was Chicago PD, uh, they, they kept it quiet very, very well. They, they actually really helped my mom out. The Chicago PD came, you know, there wasn't a lot of press about it at all. Uh, everything was locked down. And, and especially like at, 
that time, I think it was 81, they could do that. You know, these guys, you know, sure. <laughs> you didn't have to check out the PD. So they locked it down. They took good care of, of me and my mom and my family, and our family. But he said that this particular officer that actually took the gun as evidence and he was driving with it, he said he was hit with the overwhelming sense to use that gun on himself while he was driving back to the precinct. Wow. And he told my mom this later on. He said that he was, I've never, ever had a suicidal thought in my life. He goes, it was as if there was something attached to this firearm. And he said it, it was, it was, it was almost to the point where he had to like remove himself from the vehicle or he wouldn't be able to stop him. Like it was that strong. And it really, it really, it bothered him enough to mention it to my mom. So that was just one of the weird things. But, uh, yeah, a few days later, I want to say it was like a few days after the event, um, she was in her bed, uh, bedroom, sitting, sitting down, and he appeared to her. Now, what he, what she said is that he, he was in full, full bodily form, looked like he always did. Uh, she didn't say what he was wearing. She just said it was him. Um, it wasn't like a shadow. It wasn't like a presence. It was him. He, he popped right in front of her, uh, sat down next to her on the, on the end of the bed. And he said, uh, he called her by her name and said, cause she said, what are you doing here? Like she was mad. Like I said, so my mom, wow. <laughs> so she goes, what are you doing here? And he goes, I have to tell you how sorry I am. And her response is really interesting because, you know, a lot of people, I think, would, would say, oh, my God, you know, it's romantic, that's some sort of closure or whatever. You know, I'm sorry for the way I treat you. I, I need to tell you whatever. And she said, you may not talk to me. You don't belong here anymore. You need to leave. And he left. There wasn't a fight. There wasn't, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing you know, begging. It was just he was there. He tried, or this thing, you know, mimicking him, um, I don't know, uh, tried to, to apologize for, you know, the years of hell he'd, he'd done to her. Because uh, he, he was very abusive, I mean, physically, you know, the whole nine. And, uh, and she said, leave. And then she said, a couple weeks after that, she was, we had this huge old conversion van, you know, like totally, you know, pimped out from the 70s, two-tone green. It was, it was pretty rash, actually. <laughs> and uh, she was driving somewhere in it. And she said that she felt his presence in like the pilot seat behind her. Um, and she, she couldn't see him from what I remember. I don't think she saw, maybe she saw eyes in the mirror or else she refused to look. I don't remember that, that portion, but she said, and it was the same thing. She heard him say to her, and I don't know if it was in her head or actual audibly, uh, I, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry. And again, she said, this isn't your home anymore. You don't belong here. You may never visit me again. And she basically rebuked this thing. And that, and she said it was gone instantly. And that was the last time uh, that ever happened or an event like that happened to her uh, regarding my, you know, presumably, my, you know, the spirit or the presence of my father. Wow. So that was yeah, and she confirmed that, you know, I think I asked you know, I want specifics, I want to make sure I'm not, you know, I'm not adding to this or, you know, to try and prove a point when I'm, when I'm talking to people. 
but she was very adamant about it. I said, did you see him? Did you not see him? She's like, the first time I saw him, the second time, it was, it was his presence. And she said, like, it smelled like him. It sounded like him. Uh, she said he had a very distinct uh, presence. And my, my father, I guess he had a very distinct gait, like when he walked um, the first time. She, she said, you know, it was him. Like, she, it, was, it was as if he, would, he, would, he had never um, left the home physically. She said, like, it was just him. He was there. And then he sat down next to her. And I believe he said that she said that, the, you know, the, the bed went down and everything kind of turned to her. And I don't think she made a lot of contact. Like, she knew it was him. She saw him. And it wasn't like she looked along and leaned to his eyes or anything. She, you know, just, it was just not my mom. My mom was a very big advocate of tough love. <laughs> and uh, she, was not, she was not super affectionate until her latter years. But, uh, yeah, that was, that's the story with, with uh, the visitations. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's interesting because, like, you know, to be honest with you, when I first started this show almost a year and a half ago, uh, I had a totally different viewpoint on a, when it comes to ghosts and things like that. Uh, one, I, I didn't really have much of a viewpoint. I didn't know what to make of it. I knew people were experiencing things, and I knew what I thought my whole life generically, but uh, something about my 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 original thought processes growing up and stuff just didn't jive with me anymore. And as time goes on, you know, uh, I think if you're, if you're really open to thinking outside the box and staying true to open thought, your thought process change, your thought process changes, uh, over time. And, uh, you know, some things don't ever change. Like for instance, uh, I'll never denounce Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm a Christian, and it's that real to me. You'll, the, you'll, it's just, it's not going to happen. Uh, I mean, I, I let's just say, yep. I can't say it's not going to happen because Peter said it wasn't going to happen, and it happened. So let's just say, like, 99% sure, I'm not going to do that. You know, so, but uh, there, there, there are things outside of the root basis of my faith that I'm very much willing to discuss and I'm very much willing to have open thought yeah. on. And when it comes to this stuff, that's one of them. Uh, you know, yep. and just, just put it out there like this. You know, I grew up in a Christian household and I didn't know what ghosts were. I, I was fascinated yep. by the idea and I, I knew people said they saw, you know, their Uncle Joe and things like that. But uh, my natural default thought process was that's impossible because when you die, you either go to heaven or you go to hell. You you don't sit around here yep. on earth. Uh, right. But then, you know, silly Christian, <laughs> you you, uh, yeah. you you open up the Bible and you start reading it and you start listening to people teach about things. And then all of a sudden, stories that have been right in front of your face your entire life start taking a different light. And I've mentioned it on the show before, but like it's a very real story. In Second Samuel chapter twenty-eight, King Saul summons the spirit of Samuel. He goes to a median and he tells this person to summon the spirit of Samuel, and she does. And it doesn't say anywhere in there that he talked to a demon. It doesn't say that he talked to anything but Samuel. And Samuel, the spirit of Samuel, was pissed, very frustrated that he's being bothered by Saul. 
And I would be too if I'm chilling with Jesus and all of a sudden I'm being summoned by this idiot, you know? <laughs> so, Absolutely, yeah. so, I mean, when you read that story and you, and you read it for what it says and you don't try manipulating the text for, to be what you want it to be, you don't try right. fitting the scripture around what you want it to be, but you actually read it and you fit your mind around the text. When you start doing that, all of a sudden you're like, wow, wow, this life is a lot more complicated than I thought. And so, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, it's very fascinating because, um, when you hear stories like what you just shared, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know what's happening there, but clearly yep. your mom had an experience and, uh, I, I no longer can say that I believe that that's impossible. I don't believe that's not impossible. Or how do I say it? I believe that that is possible. Uh, I don't know how it's possible. I don't know why it's possible, but I do believe that that is possible now. And so it's a very fascinating account. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know. I've heard, you know, people speculate there's a grace period between, you know, now and the hereafter, you know, I don't know how many days, you know, that, I mean, (laughs) what does it translate to when you're, you know, is time linear, you know, I mean, how how does that work in the spirit realm? But, you know, going back, you know, kind of speaking to, you know, I'd grown up in, in a fairly evangelical circle and, you know, everything, <laughs> everything was a demon that wasn't an angel. Exactly. Right. You know? And like, you know, there are no disembodied, you know, human, uh, human spirits wandering the earth and blah, blah, blah. And I, I think some of the reasoning behind that, you know, um, I think, it, you know, people come up with, I think it's silly, you know, like, oh, well, they have, you know, some unfinished business where you, you show me a person that finishes everything in their life. You know, like everyone's got unfinished business, but the whole world's not full of ghosts, <laughs> you know? So it's, but, but when you start reading accounts, like you said, in the Bible, you know, um, it, it is like there, there is some form of understanding, but there's even, you know, um, accounts in ancient rabbinic texts of, you know, angels, demons, and ghosts, you know? So, so, and there are three separate categories. And even in that account of Samuel being brought to fruition, the Bible says, you know, uh, when King Saul says to the witch of Endor, he says, you know, what do you see? And she goes, I see an Elohim. Well, most evangelicals, when they hear the word Elohim, they, just, they immediately attribute it to God um, because he's Elohim. But really what Elohim or benai Elohim um, in the Hebrew, all that all that is is it's it's literally talking about an inhabitant or a resident of the spirit realm. That same word is used for um, angelic or divine beings. That same word is used for our human spirits. That same word is even used for demons later on. Yep. So it, it's, it's not so much an attribute or or a, a specific person. It's 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 literally just this is something that belongs in the spirit realm or or at least residency is in the spirit realm. And when you start looking at scripture, like you said, in the actual text, rather than some somebody who doesn't want to reckon the idea of a ghost or, or doesn't fit his particular religious worldview, so he's going to say it's a demon, um, you, you, things make a lot more sense from scripture. And, and you're no longer limited to, you know, one ideology or another, per se. Now, I think where people get confused is, yeah, this, this definitely happened to my mother. I have no doubt she related the experience to me exactly as it took place. The issue comes in when you start demanding on what exactly it was when there's simply no way of knowing. 
And when you read through the scripture and it says, don't consult with mediums, don't do this, don't do that, it's not necessarily because you're talking to demons. It's because you don't know what you're, what you're communicating with, and neither did this that, that person. If these things can show up in any form they want, potentially, if these things know things about us that we don't, like let's say they've just observed us our entire waking life, but we couldn't see them, you know, sort of like Kevin Bacon's, you know, Invisible Man movie, he, he, he got real evil real fast. <laughs> when when suddenly he couldn't be seen. Well, imagine what an eternal creature could do, you know, who has these attributes. Well, the, you know, the danger is we, we really don't know what we're contacting. And so I don't necessarily know, you know, that it's, you know, all ghosts or demons or whatever. The, the issue is we don't know. So why, why play with it? Right. And, and, you know, that, that's something that, you know, we, we don't have to hit on this, but uh, I'll, I'll, I will say this that when I'm very, everybody knows I'm very big into the giants and the Nephilim and what happened there. Uh, and you know, in these extra canonical books, it, they do detail, uh, certain things that aren't detailed in the Bible, uh, especially the book of Enoch. And, yep. you know, maybe, the, maybe we were taught how to do these things by the fallen angels. And this was, yep. th- this is, these are things that we were never supposed to know how to do. Not that God is trying to keep things from us and he is, you know, being selfish, but these are things that he did not want his children to know how to do. Just like any parent, there are certain things you don't want your children doing. They're possible. And if your kid knew how to do it or something or wanted to do it, you know, but you don't want him to do it. And you, so you don't teach them that. And I, I think I look at it a very similar way. And so I think that this is something that, that, that very well could have been something that we didn't know how to do. It wasn't part of the equation, but then it was taught to us by these, these fallen angels. Uh, and just hitting back real quick. And I, I, I don't want to veer off course here. I want to get back to your, your encounters. Uh, but just coming back to the Elohim idea. I, I will say this, that there is a guy that maybe one day I'll have on the show. I'm not sure. Uh, he's highly intelligent. It's probably partly why I haven't had him on the show yet, because I don't think, I don't think I'll be able to hold a decent conversation with the guy. He's so smart. Dr. Michael Heiser. Yes, Michael Heiser. And Absolutely. he has a great teaching. Anybody can go to YouTube and just type in Michael Heiser, Psalm 82. Okay, that's all you need to do. Just type in Michael Heiser, Psalm 82. In the very first verse of Psalm 82, it says, God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods. He holds judgment. And that Psalm is talking about God holding judgment to other gods. And in the Hebrew, it says, Elohim has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the Elohim. He holds judgment. And Dr. Heiser does a phenomenal job breaking this down, and he breaks it down in a way to show you that we're not talking about polytheism. He's not changing the Bible into polytheism, uh, but he is. what he is saying is God clearly has a, a divine hierarchy, an order to things, and he breaks it down and stuff, and it's a phenomenal thing for people to check out if they're interested. Uh, you know, it's a great... There's a plug for Dr. Heiser. Uh, I won't even yeah. charge for that, buddy. You know, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I think that's something that if people are interested in this idea of uh, 
the Elohim and the fact that not every time in the Bible, the word Elohim being used, it referring to God exclusively. Uh, definitely check out Psalm 82, Doc, Dr. Michael Heiser. He is a world-renowned scholar that, you know, he can, he, he interpret, he, I think he speaks like nine dead languages. I mean, the guy is highly, highly intelligent. He is the guy that people go to for interpreting these scrolls and all that crap. Like he knows his stuff, not crap. It's not crap. I'm sorry. But, <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, I, let, let's just kind of bring it back because I know if you know who Dr. Michael yeah. Heiser is, you and I could probably have a conversation for two hours about the guy and the things that he talks yeah. about, you know, but I've learned so much yeah, yeah. from him. Um, so, yeah, so let, let's uh, let's take it back here to um, let's ac- let's actually just take a break right now. When we come back, uh, we'll get into this more in depth. We're right back, everybody. This is Jason from episode 17, Touching a Bigfoot, and you're listening to The Confessionals with Tony. You, you had the experience, or not, you didn't have the experience, your mom had the experience with your dad and all that, and we covered that. Uh, at some point, you mentioned to me about uh, an angel of sorts. What happened there? What did you see? So, okay, so a couple years after my, my dad's passing, um, my mom kind of rekindles um, uh, a friendship with, with, with an old high school friend. Um, they used to attend the same youth group um, or church group or something like that in the city. And for I don't know how it happened, but they, they hooked back up. Things got serious, you know, rather quickly. And next thing I know, um, I'm standing in a little, you know, <laughs> in the best uh, three-piece suit miniature three-piece suit, you know, you could buy for a, you know, a five-year-old in 1984 or whatever, you know, what I, you know, <laughs> I was, and they were getting married. Like that was just like, Whoa, okay. Um, and we moved to his place in Palatine and, uh, Palatine, Illinois. And he lived in an old house. I don't know how old the place was. <clears throat> and, uh, real creepy vibe. Didn't, I didn't like it when we first moved there. And like from the get-go, we started having weird, weird experiences there, but, uh, we've been there a while. The custom was to after church on Sundays, um, cause my mom was exhausted from probably from fighting with us all morning to get us to church and then doing church and then coming back. She would make us, it was a mandatory nap immediately upon getting home after church. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. We're both parents now that we yeah. have mandatory nap time. Um, so, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. You know, I'm, I'm seven, you know, six or seven. It's, uh, it's the height of the afternoon and I'm, I'm ready to go. And, uh, she's like, no, you know, it's, it's time for bed. So my brother and I had to read these twin bread beds in, in the room. There was a set of stairs in between us. There was, it was like a covered hallway set of stairs, real weird. Um, almost like going up to like a, like, like an apartment complex. And then, uh, on the right hand side was my mother's room, you know, my parents' room. 
And uh, so middle of the day, you know, noon or so, uh, she makes us go to sleep. She, she's already out, you know, she's probably out before she hits her bed. She's sleeping and I'm wrestling around a little bit, trying to sleep, trying to, you know, be quiet. Cause I know she's going to yell at me if I'm not. And uh, I look over and I don't know how much, how you know, much time had passed. I don't know if I fell asleep and woke up. I honestly don't remember, but my brother's out of it. He's sleeping. My stepdad's usually out mowing the lawn. I think or watching golf or falling asleep in his chair downstairs. And, uh, I see this glow, like this really radiant golden glow emanating from, uh, the floor of, of the hall in between uh, our bedrooms. And it was, it was off. It was weird because it was kind of the wrong time of day for it. Cause again, my mother's bedroom was facing East. Our bedroom window was facing West and it's the middle of the day. You know, there's nothing between. And it was, there was just, there was something about it that caught my attention and it struck me. And I remember getting a little spooked out. Like this is, you know, not normal, but I got up anyways. I remember this house is, was weird to be in with. So I didn't like being in it. Thank God we didn't spend too much time there. But, um, so I go over I kind of, you know, make my way to a room real cautious, like looking at this glow and her, her bedroom door. I don't remember if her door was opened or if it was cracked. I, I don't remember, but as I got closer to the door, the glow was more significant. And I remember looking at her and I could see her. She was turned away. She was like you know, on her side, sleeping, turned away. As I saw her, I turned towards her window, but be, between her door, and I, right next to her bed, actually, right next to her on the bed was this tall, um, glowing, like golden glowing fur, you know, the best description. It, it was like it was a humanoid, but it was very tall. It was almost like eight feet tall, not huge, not broad shouldered, thin. And it looked almost like a, a person wearing a robe um, that was, it was like living light. <laughs> The words are hard to describe it. Um, it. It glistened, it sparkled, and there was something about it that seemed um, almost organic. Uh, the way it moved, and it was it was it was terrifying. I mean, the moment I laid eyes on it, I I was done. I, I mean, it, it freaked the crap out of me. It it, it there was such a sense of like. Um, power radiating off of just the image. Well, it, it's hard to put into words. And I just remember, like, I saw this thing. I kind of gave it a look up, looked down, saw my mother. It was standing right over her. And I just ran back to my, my, my room. I, I jumped in the bed, did the whole pool covers over the head, you know, and I think I just started praying. I think I just started repeating, uh, by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, because I had no idea what to think of it, what to do. And, um, it, it was, and I, I don't remember what I did after that. Uh, I don't remember if I fell passed out, fell asleep, stayed awake until I heard her moving. I never saw that thing again, but yeah, it was, uh, it was something I'll never forget. It, it was almost like a living beam of light. Um, it's hard to, it's really hard to explain. Like, uh, there was form to it. But at the same time, um, 
it wasn't restrictive. I, I, I don't know uh, liquid honey. I, I don't know how to describe it. It, it, it was, uh, I've done the best I can. But yeah, I saw something like that. It's what I presume was an angelic being um, standing over my mother. I don't know if it was ministering to her. I don't know if it was guarding her. Um, I, I, have, I have no idea what it was. But I, I do believe it was some form of being um, that was accompanying my mother while she, while she slept. Okay. So, uh, how, how tall would you say this is again? You know, dude, I was small. I mean, I think I was about seven. So I think we lived there until we were seven or eight. Um, and this thing was, it was taller than the door frame. Um, if I remember correctly, because when, when I looked in to the room, I had to look up to see the top of it. Okay. So it was very close to very close to the ceiling. I don't I don't know if we had nine foot ceilings. I don't know if we had eight foot ceilings. Um, but it was an old, you know, an older house, probably built in the '30s or something like that. It wasn't like an old farmhouse or nothing. But but it was. I just remember it being taller than anyone in my family, <laughs> <laughs> and, it, it, and it looked like it was floor to ceiling. You know, um, I didn't see any legs. I, it was it was like it was wearing a, um, uh, almost like a form fitting skirt that went all the way down to the ground. Um, uh, like a body condom. I don't, I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, I mean, uh, you know, typically when it comes to angels and stuff, a lot of times people describe these things as being very tall. Uh, you know, it's not uncommon for me to hear somebody describe it as, you know, 12 foot tall beings. And, right. you know, but the thing is people have to understand that with what we are dealing with on this show, it's all paranormal, supernatural, it's out of the ordinary. And when it comes to these, yeah. these different ideas, uh, people have to understand that if this is a supernatural slash paranormal being, you know, something out of the ordinary like that, that has the ability to appear uh, before you, uh, you have to remember that at that moment, then if it has the, the very ability to appear before you, then it certainly would, I would think, have the ability to appear before you in the size that it wants to appear before you. Uh, and, oh, and so, I mean, I don't think it was restricted either. I think it could have been taller if it wanted to be. You could have just saw, you know, the torso and its head and shoulders were through the roof, you know? Uh, yeah, absolutely. After all, I know I saw a leg, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, I mean, you know, if you saw this thing, and most people, I mean, it, how old was the house, by the way? I would say the house, you know, I never asked my, my stepdad. Um, I, I believe it was twenties or thirties that it was built. Okay. I mean, this is just for people familiar with Palatine, Illinois and, and the, and the Inverness area. It, it was, we were there, it was there before Hawkness States, which is a huge, like uh, suburban area. Now it didn't even exist. It was being built at the time. So it's, it's, it's an, it was a, and it was a massive chunk of land. It was a corner lot, but it, it, I bet it was five acres and that would be unheard of right now. You know, so it, it, it had to have been an old, a pretty old home. All right. But I mean, it's not like, uh, you know, ancient home. I, and I mean, no, if you say 20, 30 years, yeah. If, if yeah, you, yeah. 
it, it's, I mean, more than likely the ceilings were probably about eight feet to eight and a half feet tall. Uh, and so yeah. this could have been anywhere between seven and a half to eight feet tall. You know, let's just put it at that number. Uh, it's clearly uh, a very tall individ- individual. Uh, now, yeah. when it comes to the idea of it being an angel, is that something that you just say because you don't know how else to describe it? Or do you think that this, you know, really was an angel? Uh, you know, it obviously struck fear, of, fear in you that you uh, went and had to hide from it. And it's funny because if it is an, yeah. if it is an angel, uh, you know, you're praying to God, God, please take away your angel because it's scaring me. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I'll, I'll say this. I've over the years, especially being in ministry, I've encountered many shapes. I've encountered many malevolent spirits. Uh, some people would call them demonic um, entities um, through deliverance sessions or pray, just praying or just even on, on my own. And this thing, whatever it was, was different. Um, there was a, there was peace about it. There was an absolute peace. Now, now in the natural, I was terrified. But there was a commanding presence about it as if it belonged there um, and it wasn't there to harm her. It was, it was actually slightly, it, was, it, was, it looked like it was looking down at her a little bit. Um, it wasn't just standing at attention or anything like that. It was, it was, it was, there was a slight curve to what I presume was the shoulders and head. Um, and I, you know, I, I didn't feel my mother was in danger. I didn't feel we were in danger. It literally just startled me. And there was such a powerful presence to it that I, I couldn't deal with it. Like I, I couldn't, um, uh, it, it wasn't for terror. It wasn't like there, you know, there's, there's a darkness in certain things that, that it, it's almost tangible. It's, it's a dark, tangible presence, but this did not have that. It, it, it was, mm, it was it was as if I was looking at a divine being with some form of authority that had every right to be there and but it was I felt like I didn't I felt like I, I, I stepped into something that was almost sacred and I had to you know and I had to get out of there and I'm young I don't understand those things at, at, at that time I don't know processing measure I hardly do now you know for something like that so that's it. when I look back at it, um, there was my sense was this was an this was an angel, and I think what threw me off was it it didn't fit any of the depictions I'd ever seen, any of the old Byzantine photos, you know, or pictures, you know, paintings, renditions. It wasn't some chubby cherub with wings. It wasn't you know like it, it didn't have these massive appendages with a, with a flaming sword, you know, all, all the little stories I'd heard in the Bible didn't match any of that stuff. But my, my, my sense was, this is what it was. It was some sort of angelic being. And it was, it was, there's some form of an advocate for my mother, whether just to protect her or just my sense of it was, it was in some way just ministering to her. And I don't know, I don't know what that means. Um, that was the sense I got. But at the same time, its presence and, and the uh, the countenance of it was was so powerful; it was terrifying. Well, I mean, I, I can understand that. I, I cannot. I definitely can understand that because you hear of these different kind of experiences that people have and stuff, and just being in the presence of you know even an angel. Just just say it was an angel. Uh, that can be a very terrifying experience given the certain circumstances. 
there, there's obviously times that it's a very peaceful experience, but it depends on who's on the receiving end of what. I mean, uh, people have heard yeah. the stories of my grandfather and when he was in the ministry when he was younger, uh, they, they were under the assumption that people were going to, you know, storm their camp and destroy things. And so the men stayed up overnight and these guys show up three to, I think it was like three different times. And each time they showed up, they brought more people, but they, they didn't go any further than the driveway because uh, what they said was there's these like tall, 12 foot tall angels standing there guarding the camp. Now in that yeah. moment, these men wouldn't go any further. Why? Because they were terrified. But my grandfather yeah. didn't fear, feel anything. He didn't even see these things. They never saw them. And there's times that people say they saw angels and it was a very soothing, uh, ministering, like you said, ministering type experience. Uh, but if you're on the other receiving end where, you know, they're there being like, watch it, buddy, you know, like it, it can be a terrifying experience. I mean, imagine seeing something 12 feet tall, gigantic, and it's looking at you like, yeah, take one more step. You know, it's like, uh, uh no, I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna back out. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. There, yeah. There's, I mean, there's something to be said to that. Uh, and even when you read accounts in Scripture, I mean, people that encountered angels, they, some of them would fall down as if they were dead. Some of them, um, you know, even when Daniel was, you know, fasting, um, uh, it said that, you know, he encountered this thing. He kind of fell down as a dead man. And the ones that said the people that were with him, the servants, they all just ran for the hills, terrified. So, you know, and, and they weren't like his enemies. They weren't trying to do anything bad, you know, but they were just like, you know, like, crap, what's this thing? And right. so I, yeah, man, I, I can't explain it, you know, but that's, that was my response. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, man, it, it's, it's very interesting. And, uh, I want to keep moving here because there's a little bit more I want to get to. Uh, I, I sure. think, I think we're going to have to bring you back for a patron show because I know you have a lot of, a lot of experiences to share. Uh, but, I do want you to hit before we get into the move. Uh, you you moved to uh, let's just say you moved to the farm or whatever it was. Uh, you moved to a different area, and there's experiences that you had there. Uh, and I'm not sure where this falls in the timeline. But before we move to the farm, unless it's relevant, tell us about this story of the this arm that came out of the wall. Uh, that that is just wow. <laughs> So the timeline for that is, okay, uh, remember I previously said I hated that house. I didn't like being in that stepdad's house. Well, this is the reason. The first night we were there, my brother and I, um, my twin and I, uh, I have older siblings, but they're like way older. They were already in college, like I said, and yada, yada, yada. But So we move in. We go up this creepy dark hallway that has no lights. It's a stairway and a hallway, but there's no lights up to it. <laughs> we go in. Our, our room, again, is directly to the left, and we had two twin beds there. Yeah, my stepdad had set up for us real quick. It was pretty nice. And um, it's bedtime. You know, and we moved in. I want to say it was pretty late when we moved in. Like, like it was just kind of like a, a night, and boom, we're there. And my brother and I, we have no idea that this is our, now our home. Like, my parents do that to us all the time. We moved to the farm, same thing. We just showed up at a farm one day, and we never left. So we're in a strange place. It, it's weird. And as we're kind of like picking beds, I picked the far bed on the far left because there's a window and we're on the second floor with a great view. And, um, my brother picked, um, the bed that was closest to the wall. That was the wall dividing us from the stairwell. And 
as we're sitting on the bed and kind of like, I don't know if we're jumping or playing or whatever, we're just kind of getting our stuff. <laughs> An arm, like a muscular man's arm, uh, not, nothing crazy, you know, just like very well built uh, from about the shoulder out. It comes out of the wall and it, it, it was like it kept its hand bent and I don't remember if the hand was open or closed. I think it was open. And it was like, you kind of like a, like a silly old, like a, a, you know, chopping motion. Like you're going to chop a board, like karate style, you know? Yeah. Well, well this arm just, just kind of does like a, a crescent, you know, swipe and just makes a swiping movement on the wall. Um, and we both saw it. We didn't acknowledge it. And it left a mark, like a smear, like a smudge um, where the fingers or hand would have been. Like almost like you know when you see, uh, uh, like a tree that rubs against you know a, a, a building or a metal building and it kind of rubs the paint. It was like it was as if it, it had just been scrubbing on this thing and it just left a mark in the wall. But it was like a dark, kind of a dirty smudge. And that, and as it went down, it just kind of vanished. I don't think I don't remember if it went back into the wall. I don't I don't remember any part. It was, and we we both saw it. We didn't direct, it wasn't like directly in our line of sight. It was kind of off to the side, but it wasn't entirely peripheral either. We, and we both saw it. I mean, it was, it was a Caucasian a hand, our arm, uh, arm, forearm, and hand. Uh, and yeah, it swiped in the wall and then it was gone. And this is like the, I mean, this is like, we're, we're up in that room for five minutes and this happens. And so that set the tone for the entire time we were there. Uh, and we were like, nope, like this is, and I asked, I said, did you see that? And he said, yeah. And, and we kind of like gathered the courage together and to look at it. And there was a smudge. Now, as far as the smudge goes, I, I don't remember being there prior, but I honestly wasn't paying attention until that arm did its thing. Yeah. So, so I'm not going to say that it's the cause of whatever that mark was, but that mark stayed there for, I don't remember us painting over it. I don't remember us trying to wash it off or nothing. It was just like this permanent thing, which was kind of a terrifying reminder. Um, it wasn't real heavy duty. It wasn't like fresh marker or fresh paint. It was, it was, it was like a smudge, like a smear that looked like it'd been there for a little while. It was kind of dirty and had the, had the motion of the hand not, not been there. You know, I don't know if we would have noticed. I don't know if it would just look like a stain or what to us, but we both saw it. And, uh, yeah, so that was the first night in that house. Wow. <laughs> so, I guess, so, I mean, who knows? Maybe there was something, you know, like now I'm thinking about, you know, that what I presume was the angel, maybe there was something going on there and, and it was protecting my mother, you know, cause, cause where that arm was, you know, her room was right to the, on the other side of that hall. So, you know, I don't know. And I do remember the basement of that home was really freaky. Now, every little kid, you know, scared the basements, but uh, I can, I can, I, I don't think I ever went into the hole of the basement ever. And the, the place was freaky. We never went down there. I never saw my stepdad down there. We had two outbuildings that he utilized in a garage, but no one ever went into the basement. And I think it was a yeah, yeah. Nobody ever went in. I don't. I don't even know where the 
the, my mom had to go in there because I think this was a laundry stuff. So we wouldn't go in there. We, we would not go in there. So yeah, that was what started that, that whole ordeal. So that's the arm story. Yeah. That's that. I mean, that's, that that's gotta be frightening and terrifying as a kid, you know, uh, seeing that it, it, it just kind of, you're right. It, it sets the tone for the rest of the experience at the house and stuff. It's, it's just really, uh, one of those experiences that, uh, would really just scar somebody. Uh, I, I can't imagine, you know, how I'd feel when, if I saw something like that. Now, when you saw this thing, I mean, how, how, I don't know if massive is the right word, but how big was this? I mean, was this like a, like an ab- abnormally large arm or was it like just like a normal human looking size arm that was just real muscular and no it wasn't giant it, it looked like a regular man's arm you know like i would say you know if the individual would you know could have been anywhere you know and again you know i'm looking back years and years um i would say you know five foot ten to six foot you know just just a normal human it was it was a man's arm um, it, it looked like a man's arm. Uh, it was, it was very, it was very toned. It was very muscular. You know, I, you know, I don't know, you know, 15 inch biceps. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was big, dude. It was, it was like a, it was just like a well-built dude's arm. Like, wow. it's, weird. it's weird to describe. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've never seen anything again like it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, you see, you see what you saw, uh, and it's just, it's just, it's just very odd to me. Uh, I don't, I don't even know, I don't even know what to to ask you about it. I mean, it's a freaking arm. I mean, like, you know, it's yeah, it was, and it wasn't like an annual event. It wasn't like a nightly routine. Like we never saw anything like that again. Um, other than that, you know, and, and a couple of spooky, like it's some weird, you know, like a horse got drunk down the street and cause a fatal accident like there was you know stupid stuff like that but nothing else happened in that house you know and that it was the angel and as far as i can recall nothing else and that, that never happened again so we, we quickly you know got got over it but it was a it was a weird way to start yeah for sure uh so why don't we just move into some of the farm stuff i mean you've had several different things happen and stuff and uh just kind of walk us into you know what happened all right so like I said, uh, I want to say we were 10 or 11. God, no, it had been nine. I think we were around nine. We moved to the farm, southeastern Wisconsin, far northwestern Illinois. My folks didn't like the way things were going, where they were at with the schools. They wanted to, uh, my mom, um, she had, she was just short of her teaching degree, so she decided to homeschool us. Got us out to a 24-acre a, a parcel of land, which I later found out was my, my stepdad's idea, which was really kind of cool because they were the best years of my life. Um, and he would drive, I mean, literally drive four hours a day to, to work um, just so he could live. Wow. Yeah, I mean, the guy was, I didn't appreciate him for, for who he really was and what he did for us until years later. I didn't know. I thought it was my mom's idea, but but uh, he did it for us and it was awesome, you know, best way to grow up, huge. Uh, and the, but the farm was well over a hundred years old and we lived, um, the original, the initial building or home homestead was very small. Um, they had a, they had a picture of it. Um, that was like circa 1919 or something like that. And it was very tiny. They put these additions on it on our second floor. And, um, so they kind of built a house around the house that existed uh, 
And the, the, the moment we got there, it, it was really cool, but it was also just, just odd. It was a weird area. And the more I've looked into this area, um, just the, there's a lot of high strangeness there. Um, you know, we weren't far from Bray Road, uh, with the Godfrey's, you know, stomping grounds, the Beast of Bray Road, uh, that whole like Kettle Moraine in, in Southeast Wisconsin corridor. It, it's, there's a lot of weirdness that happens here. It's, it's kind of like, um, uh, the chestnut ridge of the Midwest. <laughs> okay. I guess the best way I could describe it, the more I look into it, you know, and, the road we lived on was named after the owner, the, the original farmhouse. Um, and this property had been there forever. And then they, they subplotted, but it was still a big property. We had 24 acres of woods behind 24 acres of field, which we called it. We used it. And, uh, but there was always something about that house and the people that lived there before us, we think there was something, they were into some stuff and I don't know what, but, but it wasn't very good. Um, and we had, um, you know, we saw uh, weird things in the home. There's presence. I would have a, now I don't know if this is affiliated with the house or it was just something that was, you know, I don't know, just sent to torment me. Uh, in my room, when, I, when, I, when we finally separated the room, so there was two bedrooms upstairs and then a, another little landing uh, to the left of the stairs there where we had a, a set of bunk beds that we, that my brother and I used to share in the city. Um, and my mom would frequently sleep there on my stepdad. He was a, she snored like a, a giant chainsaw. Um, so she would sleep there and, and to the right of that. So as you're coming up to the right was my room. And then behind the stairs, um, if you went, you went to my, if you went to the right and you kept going back to, which would be the front of the house. That was my brother's room. So we both shared a room initially. And then we had foster kids. So they would live, you know, in, in that, spare bedroom that later became my bedroom or um or when family came by because it was like a sanctuary we had horses and stuff everyone come out from the city on the weekends and just hang out so uh my my brother and i we would we would see things there'd be a presence but when, when i got my room sorry rambling when i got my room we, we got old enough we separated um i got my bed i want to say you know early teens or preteen, early teens. Uh, and again, we didn't have, we had curtains over the, the doorway. We didn't have doors at that time. We had doors later on. Um, uh, there was a, a small presence that would visit me at night. I, I never saw it, but I knew it's approximate size and I knew where it's, it was in my room. And I stayed up late to this day. I stay up late. But I think I started because I didn't, I never wanted to go to bed. Um, and it didn't happen immediately. It wasn't like right from the get go, like, like at the other house, it wasn't some weird thing. It's like gradually over time, this, this little thing, it would always kind of come from you know, this little back space. It was kind of like a little office type area. And to the left of that was my closet. And then there was this, uh, it was a, uh, an attic or a crawl space. It was crawl space. Um, it would kind of come out from from this little office area and just like sit kind of the corner of my bed. And it felt like it was just staring at me. And it was just this sense of fear. And, 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 and I, it wasn't there all the time. I knew when it would show up. It was actually like a presence. And I suffered from sleep paralysis and all kinds of stuff when I was a kid. 
And I, I don't know if there's something there before it. I don't know if I did something to open the door to have that happen in my life. I, I really don't know. I wasn't a great kid, but, but so that was one of the things, um, uh, we had, we had several, like, there was several UFO type deals that happened on the farm. Um, one time I was out and I, I told you this, uh, there was this noise, this, my, I think my brother was at some friends' house. My, 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 my stepdad was at work. My mom's outside kind of gardening just in the yard. She's just doing, you know, planters. And we, the, the house is on a hill. And the hill went down, I want to say, about 50 feet. And then it went to, like, this circular driveway. And there's a big barn, you know. And then it went back up. But you, you went down. It was a downhill thing. And so the porch was pretty high. It was small, but it was high. And so I heard this noise that sounded like 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 a jet engine, like 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 a like a seven forty seven engine hovering over the house. Um, and it it came. It sounded like it came from far away, and it was like descending, and it was gonna like hit us. And so it, it got to the point where I was feeling like the vibration from it. It's super loud. It's it's overwhelming. But I'm convinced that an airplane is going to hit the house. So I, I run outside um, onto the porch um, and, and kind of start looking, you know, kind of get toward the end of the porch and start looking up. And it's, it's, it's I believe it was like a, an early summer day, uh, June, July, I'm not sure. Um, clear skies, maybe a few clouds, nothing. There's nothing there. And, and by the time I'm outside, I mean, the decibels are so loud. I'm convinced this thing is right on top of me. I'm, I'm looking around, um, but there's nothing. I can't see anything. And my mom is down, you know, around these rocks, planting some flowers, and I'm yelling at her because I can't hear myself over the sound, but, you know, the, the, the noise of this thing, this engine. And um, and so I start yelling, my mom, mom, you know, what, what is, what is, what is it? And she... Kelly, she responded and she was mad. She was like, I was bothering her. Like, why are you yelling? She starts yelling back at me, but I can't hear what she's saying over this thing. So as, as I start to like, and I'm pointing up at the sky and I'm looking at her and I'm, I'm looking up because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to see where this thing is coming from and when it's going to hit. And, and I don't remember, I think it faded away. It was almost like someone turned the engine off and it just went, but it was still like, you know, present. It was still like there but then it just went away and I'm still yelling. And my mom is now she's, she's mad. She's pissed. What are you screaming about? What are you freaking out about? Knock it off. And I'm like, you know, did you hear that? Did you hear that? She's like, what are you talking about? I said, I said, what is, I said, where's that engine? Where's that jet engine? Did you, did, is there a jet or that? I, I didn't know if it landed in the field. I'm looking in the fields, you know, maybe it landed behind the bar. I'm looking for smoke. I'm looking for anything to give me an indication of where this plane hit. And it freaked me out because I didn't hear an impact. And she's mad, so she just starts saying, just go inside, there's nothing, what's wrong with you? You know, she she just kind of goes back to what she's doing. My ears, you know, are, they're almost ringing from this thing. And my heart is going bananas. And it's gone. There's there's nothing. There's no sign of it. The animals weren't cowering. There was no There was nothing. There was no indication other than what I heard and felt what had happened. And it was out of all the things that happened to me on that farm, that was the most, one of the, one of the most troubling things and unsettling things, because I, to this day still have no 
explanation for it. Now, I, I, I've done research. There's exploding head syndrome, which usually happens when you're about to fall asleep or you're, you know, but for that, I, I, I'd only heard one other account of something like that happening for, and that was from another podcaster. And when he, when he, when he talked about it and he was around the same age as me, and incidentally, he's from the Midwest, so I don't know where he was when this happened to him, but he's actually from like the Chicago land area. Um, uh, he's the only one that's ever said, that's talked about something like this that I can recall. Um, but yeah, that was weird. Um, so, so that was one of the events, you know, just one of many, many, just strange, odd, nonsensical things that happened in that area. And there was talk, uh, we had an old guy, um, farmer Nelson, he owned a huge cattle, cattle, um, uh, property, uh, with like hundreds and hundreds of acres. And, and he was like 90 something years old. <clears throat> we invited him over for dinner one time. Really cool guy. Had had the had the down low on everything in that area because he almost, he'd been there for almost a century. And um, he told us that there were Indian burial mounds all over that area. Um, that it was it was Indian land, and uh, he said that. And this is going to sound so cliche, but he said one day a bunch of people from a museum. He didn't say it was the Smithsonian or anything. <laughs> a bunch of a bunch of people from a museum, he said, came and they dug up the graves and they left. A bunch of, he said, he called them white people. He said a bunch of white people came and did this. So, I mean, as cliche as that sounds, uh, said like that, like that was from the horse's mouth. And, and this, this, like, this is the early 90s. This predates anything on the internet, any, any stories, you know, that were going around, you know, that's like, you know, uh, common fare nowadays and like this guy literally like whips that out and tells us over dinner you know it was like random yeah. people were asking about the history there it was weird dude you know <clears throat> so <laughs> i don't know if there's anything to that i don't know you know if there's some weird sacred land thing i i don't know <laughs> but that area is is pretty weird um and i think i think it's uh i think it's bigfoot indian land because because we actually lived Technically, we lived in what was called the, the village of Bigfoot, which really wasn't a village. Um, and it was, it was Bigfoot, Illinois. And there was Bigfoot High School, which, which, which was right across the border in Walworth, Wisconsin. We literally lived almost right on State Line Road. I could, I could spit on Wisconsin from where I lived. And, uh, it, th- yeah, so that, that was that area. So I don't know if it was, you know, the Bigfoot Indian tribe or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm grasping at straws now just trying to think about it. But, sure. But, yeah, it, it was weird. And uh, we had several experiences um, that were unusual, um, things following my brother home. Uh, there was a far- an old farm across the street that's probably as old as ours, and we would um, <laughs> we would see things um, walking, like paralleling us um, at night, because we, we had no curfew. It was awesome. <laughs> uh, we, I would go on walks, like, like at 11 o'clock at night because it's, it's, you're seven miles outside of town. There's nothing happening. Um, and my, my parents were cool with it. So we would just walk, you know, aside from coyotes, you know, coyotes, um, there was nothing to worry about. And we were always armed. Like we had always had some kind of long knife or sores. <laughs> like, we we're just goofy kids, but, uh, a, a tall dark object would parallel you in this old farmhouse. It was an old dairy farm and, uh, it would block out the light in the windows. Uh, as you walked with it, it wasn't parallax. It was actually something moving um, with you. Because sometimes it would be just ahead of you, sometimes it would be just behind you. 
And I didn't see it all the time, but on several occasions I saw it. And my, my, my brother mentioned seeing the same thing. So, uh, it was just a weird area. Oh, the whole area it wasn't just one. It wasn't just our place. It was the whole that whole region. All right. Well, let's just take a break right now. When we come back, we will start wrapping up the show with some very interesting stories. with Sasquatch Chronicles and you're listening to The Confessionals with Tony Merkel. With all this stuff that, you know, is going on and everything, uh, that black, actually, you know, I can't remember if it was this interview or the one we just did or we did before. Uh, you Did you talk about the black mass yet from that came down from the ceiling? No. That, you got to talk yeah, about that. that. Talk, go go right go into that now because uh, I want you, what what I want you to do from here because I know there's there's tons of things you guys experienced. Uh, yeah, yeah. What what I want you to do from here is I want you to share that story of you know how it appeared before you what what went into that because I know you just you were you know pursuing uh, you know the offensive when this happened and so I want you to go into that uh, and then also share about the girl who manifested on your property. Uh, and, and then we'll wrap things up after those two stories. But yeah, I, I right. definitely want you to go into these two stories. Yeah, thanks for reeling that back. Um, okay, so so I, I want to say I was I was roughly, gosh, man, between fourteen and seventeen. Um, it's a little hazy. I want to say I was probably older. I had to have been, yeah, I had to have been a little bit older, maybe even I was sixteen, because um, because I had a bunch of high school friends at the time. Now we were homeschooled. My freshman year, I decided to go back to school because I was cheating my way through homeschool. And I'm like, wait, I'm going to graduate soon. I'm going to be an idiot. So I, so I actually paid my. <laughs> I'm just being honest, Dad. So um, I actually paid um, my way um, for, to, to go through high school. I was working at the time, whatever. And so I developed these these two groups of friends. I had these groups of church friends. Church is a huge part of our life. Um, and I started getting really serious about God, and, and I, I'd, I'd had some significant experiences in my in my youth group with my local youth um, that were, I would say, spiritual um, kind of spiritual awakenings. Where I was, I was encountering what I believe to be the presence of, of, of God, and it was different than anything else before because I was actually actively being attentive to it. Um, and then I had all these other friends, and I, and I was kind of a misfit. Um, I, I I wasn't into sports. I wasn't into, you know, I wasn't super academic, uh, but I was into skateboarding and punk rock. I was in a punk rock band and, you know, and, um, 
so I didn't really fit the motif, the conservative Christian motif of my of my church, but I had a lot of friends, and we had this awesome property. So I, one day, I don't know how it came, I don't know if my parents came up with it, I don't know if we came up with it, I, 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 I think I did, I think maybe it was even related to a birthday. I said, hey, you know, Ma, Dad, I, um, Maybe it was, maybe it was, in, it may have been my youth leaders said they wanted to do something, but on the alternate, I said, hey, because somehow it ended up where my church friends were going to come and have this big shindig on our property. It was going to last all night, you know, and, 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 um, the kids would go home afterwards and it was just, you know, bonfire. We, we, uh, we attached a, a toboggan to our Jeep and put hay bales on it and dragged the kids all around the, all around the field. It was, it was awesome. And, um, and I said, well, here's a good opportunity because I, for my friends, my, my secular friends, the kids from school that didn't go to my church, didn't really know like I was a Christian at all. Um, maybe I should invite my other friends to, and we could all get together and it would be this really cool thing and that no one see, hey, you know, our Christians are, they don't suck or whatever. Like, I don't know what my, what my thinking was behind it, but, but I, I wanted to like kind of unify the two lives I had. I, I think it would be like some sort of closure for me psychologically. <laughs> and so I decided to have my secular friends come out and, and with my Christian friends being there, my youth. And there was a lot of kids, you know, like, I don't know, like 15, 15 kids or so plus a few youth leaders. And so I'm, I got the punk rock going. Um, I don't remember my parents being there. It's like they left the place to us and the youth leaders. And, um, we, we had a great sound system, hot dogs, whatever the whole nine yards. My, all my, my Christian friends come out and then all my, my secular friends start showing up here and there. And, um, uh, I was playing, I remember I was playing bro him by Pennywise because <laughs> the album just dropped. And, uh, my youthful leaders kind of got, you know, a little uncomfortable with it, with this punk rock. So this band jars of clay just released their like, their uh, premiere album that was like huge and they plugged it in and, and said, Hey, you know, can we play this? Can we, you know, I don't know. They didn't want to lose any Jesus points. So, <laughs> so, uh, so they play it. I'm, we're playing it. I'm like, yeah, this is actually really good. You know, like this is decent, you know, like, so I crank it. And, um, and for whatever reason, I don't remember where they were. I had this, I had my really good friend. I'm going to call him Tommy and his girlfriend, Rachel. Um, I don't remember where they were, if they were on the campfire or whatever. Rachel, they were very gothic, into the goth scene. EDM music, um, Nine Inch Nails, you know, uh, Robert Smith and The Cure, like that whole era, you know, was was, was booming back then. And they always wore black. Uh, um, Rachel, sorry, had her hair up, you know, like I don't know how many cans of hairspray she used. And she was your, you know, she looked just like Winona Ryder from Beetlejuice. <laughs> it was like that, like just all black. The hair was up like that. And, um, she, she, she was a very troubled young lady, but I love these guys. You know, they were my friends. They were cool. You know, these are kids I knew in, in grade school. And then all of a sudden, you know, they have these separate you know, lives as they get into high school. Cause, cause I'm now going back to public school. And, um, but she would frequently, um, act very strange in school. I had her in, in um, uh, study hall, study hall first hour. And she would start doing her thing, her, you know, her, her, her face would contort and she would, 
and she started, you know, jerking her head and whatever. And everybody thought she was fooling around. Everyone thought she was just trying to be an attention grabber or whatever. And there was something about it that always, I was like, no, something's wrong. Like there's something happening to her because you could see her, the color of her eyes would actually change. Um, and, and it would get very dark and they would almost get like a, um, like a, a very dull, dark red, not, not like illuminating red, almost like a, like a bloodshot crimson and, um, mixed with like a lot of dark black. And, and she would start contorting her hands and go up. It was, it was almost as if she was having some form of a seizure, um, like a, like a palsy seizure. And this would, you know, everyone would be like, Oh, shut up, you know, shut up, Rachel, knock it off. You know, all the Johnson scream at her and blah, blah, blah. And then, um, they would take her out and go to the nurse, whatever, or she would just calm down, you know, and she would act like nothing happened. That's you, you know, whatever. But I was just kind of, ah, you know, but I, but it always didn't sit right with me. There's something dark about it. Well, anyways, and this happens shortly after we kick out in Jarsa Clay and she comes in the house. Chris kind of has her in the house. He's like, Hey man, you know, she's doing her thing. And amongst our circle of friends, it was known, like it was, it was well known, you know, that this would happen to her. She would have fits. She would call it a fit. She's having an episode. She's having a fit. Is there some, I know how to calm her down. Is there some way I can, I can, is somewhere I can take her. And, you know, all my, all my Christian friends are freaking out. You know, like kind of wigged out a little bit, but they're all quiet. Everybody else is just like, oh yeah, <laughs> or it's Rachel, sorry. And, um, and so I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, take her, take her upstairs in my room. There's a mattress on the, on, on the floor. I had my bed and for whatever reason, I had a mattress on the floor. You know, I had friends spend the night. Um, you know, take her up there and, and do whatever you got to do to calm her down. Oh, thanks, man. You know, so they go upstairs. I think at this time I had door, I had a door on. Um, so they're up there, and 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 the room is is literally like half of my room is right above the area where we were at the living room, and then the rest of it is over my stepdad's room. Um, so that that's kind of how the divide was, like it was half and half. So. And there was a lot of us there. I think we were all there because people came in because they were concerned about her um, from the outside. And uh, and I just got this gut feeling like, like, are you are you just going to let this happen? Like, like, don't just let like you can help here. And it, it was it was it was very surreal. It was very weird, but it was like this urgency. Like, you have authority. Like, you need to pray for your friends. Who cares what it looks like to everybody else? And uh, this like this it's something rose up in me and I'm like, I, I just like took command of the situation because my youth leaders weren't even doing anything. You know, I said, look, I said, we're going to pray for her and we're, we're going to gather on our circle right under, right under my room, which was that living room. And I said, we're going to pray for her. So let's, let's do it right now. We're, we're all going to have our hands and we're just going to pray that, that, that she gets better. You know, I don't know what I said. It wasn't, it wasn't that inspiring, but it, you know, for, for the age I was, it was, it was a big deal. And I, I remember all of my secular friends, my, my youth leaders and my Christian friends standing in a, in a large circle that basically filled the room. We all held hands and we started praying for Rachel. And I'm just like, you know, uh, you know, uh, I plead the blood of Jesus, you know, because that's what my mom showed me. If you told me if you're ever scared, just plead the blood. I didn't even know what it meant. I, I had no idea, you know, and, and, and I, you know, I don't even know the prayer. It was something pitifully, something pitiful. It was just like, you know, uh, you know, Lord, just help, help Rachel, help, you know, if there's any evil thing going on, we, 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 we say, 
you please now, you know, we plead the blood of Jesus. I don't remember. It, was, it wasn't very long. It was short. We just prayed. And I remember the presence of God, what I believe to be the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit filled that room and that, and that house and that, or that area of above and below us. It felt, like, it felt like we were just, it felt like we stepped into a cloud. Um, the atmosphere actually got thicker. It was tangible. You, you could cut it with a knife. And um, in the presence, and just this peace descended, and everyone reacted to it. They're just like, "Oh!" And and we knew we were done praying. And moments later, like 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 moments later, they came downstairs, and and Rachel was kind of hanging on Tommy. Um, you know, like it was almost like he was lifting her, you know, holding her up. Um, shoulder to shoulder, and he was taller than her, about six foot two. She was, she was probably about five foot eight, and brings her down. She's kind of like, you know, dragging her feet, and she just looks exhausted. She looks like she ran a marathon, like when she swam a triathlon or something. And, um, but the, the countenance on her face was, she was like a whole other person. It, it, she was, she was, it was, it was like this, it was like the, the epitome of the word relief was in her face. Um, she just looked, she looked exhausted, but she looked completely at peace for the first time. I, I'd never seen her like that. Um, this is a, this is a girl who, you know, I heard rumors of, of, of her parents locking her and her brother in, in a room, um, in a closet while they went on vacation, like, like just horrible things that happened to this young lady. I, I can't confirm any of it, but, but, you know, I'm getting this from her boyfriend at the time, and and I were really good friends. She was troubled. Um, it wasn't good. And she she looked like a whole other person wearing the same skin <laughs> and clothes. And even Tommy looked different. He just looked like it was as if he knew what he did. We did he didn't know what had happened, what we were doing. Um, it was as if he knew what we had done. And he was just so, it was gratitude. It was, it was weird. And I said, hey, man, you know, you know, how's Rachel? He's like, oh, man, you know, she's good. Hey, look, guys, um, thanks for inviting us out. Everything's, you know, like, thank you so much. Um, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take her home. She's just exhausted, and, and she needs to sleep. Um, usually after this type of thing, it's really hard for her, you know, but, but we just want to thank you guys. Thanks so much. And like everybody, like we gave hugs, man. Everybody, like you, it was like a, like a sense of victory, like something like we had all taken part in something amazing and, 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 and we're seeing like uh, the best poss- possible scenario on it, you know, um, like it was, it was like watching somebody like um, get pulled, you know, from, from a river when they were drowned. It was, yeah. uh, I can't describe. And, um, so they leave and everyone kind of gives hugs and like, it starts to fit in, you know, like, and everyone's like, whoa, man, like, like, whoa, like that, that was cool. Like, wow. Like what happened there? Like my secular friends that were showing like my Christian friends and leaders were not sure either because they'd never seen anything like that. It wasn't that, that type of thing. Wasn't really a reality in our, in our church. Um, it, it, it was, a little out of the norm, but at the same time, they couldn't deny it, you know, and they couldn't, like, nobody could, it was really weird, like, in the, the night, just kind of ended, like, every just kind of closed up shop, it was pretty late anyways, we, it was like from about 10 p.m. or so, and we just kind of closed up shop and went home, you know, and I'm just like, man, this is awesome, you know, thank you, God, and it, it did something to me, 
I kind of brought a whole new reality into my life. You're like, wait a minute, like maybe there's more to this, maybe there's more to this being a Christian thing. Maybe, maybe we can help people, you know, in ways that, that transcends, um, natural ability. And, uh, so that really catapulted me into like just, just a deeper relationship and pursuing things. And, and I, it wasn't a constant, in my, it wasn't a constant in my life because I wasn't in the word. I didn't really get understanding about what had taken place. I just knew something had taken place. So fast forward uh, a few days or a week and, um, I'm sleeping in my room and I'm having the worst bouts of sleep paralysis, um, nightmares, uh, that, that sense of foreboding, that thing that would come, it was like, it was amplified like a hundredfold and it would happen every night. And I would wake up and almost forget everything, forget that anything took place. I would wake up exhausted. I felt like something was wrong, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And I don't remember if it was a week or two weeks later. I'm coming back from YouTube because our YouTube was a town over, so my mom had to drive us. Um, and I think it was on Thursday nights. Uh, maybe it was Wednesday, but she had to drive. And it was a long drive. It was, it was you know, 20, 30-minute drive from our house. And on the way back, uh, I started to remember, like, a really bad nightmare that I had. So I start telling my mom, like, yeah, mom, oh, mom, by the way, <clears throat> this is, and we're, we're about a, a mile from my house. And I said, this has been going on. I, I forgot about it. And, and, and I just remembered it was just like it came flooding back. So I started telling her, she goes, you know what? I'm telling her about the nightmares I had. I'm telling her, I had this one real specific, troubling nightmare of, uh, I woke up, and, like, I felt like I woke up in it. And I'm seeing all the smoke coming kind of upstairs, like fog. And I, and I go downstairs, and there's a smoke pouring out of my stepdad's room, just just pouring out of it. It's like you know, thick fog, like a, like a rock star, like a rock show fog. But it was smoke. I could smell it. It was it was smoke. And my stepdad was a smoker, heavy smoker, been smoking forever. And um, you get up two or three times a night to have a chocolate milk and a cigarette. And um, and so I, as I go in towards this room, there, there's like all these, cha- I can hear chains. I think I saw chains, you know, kind of leading into his room, like steel, iron chains, you know. Um, <clears throat> and there's these, 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 uh, these things that look like hellhounds. Um, they, they looked almost exactly like the creatures from the original Ghostbuster, um, the, the gatekeeper, uh, those dog things, those hellhound things, um, they looked, but they had uh, horns, almost like ram's horns, like dorset sheep, you know, like curled around. I think um, they were gray in color. They had red eyes, and they were all around my stepdad's bed. My stepdad sleeping; his chains were over his chest, like over his lungs, everything. And it was like they were wrapped tight and pinning into the ground. And these things looked at me, and the sense I got was, "We have him." And we're going to take him. It was, it was really weird. That was like, we have him in bondage. He's ours. And it was, and it was a terrifying like experience. There was, I don't know how many of these beasts were around him. And they were just like, kind of the chains were like almost tightening, wrenching him into the, into the mattress. And, um, and I wake up and, um, and so I'm relating this to my mother and she goes, 
you know what? She goes, that's weird you say that because, because your stepdad has been having horrible, horrible nightmares along those same lines. And he never has nightmares. Like, he never talks about anything. You know, he, he was just kind of one of those guys. Didn't talk about much of anything. But he was, he was saying, yeah, they, I'm having really bad nightmares. Things are really bothering me at night. And so I began to put two and two together for the proximity of my room and my parents' room and what happened. It was like all these lights went on and I was like, oh no, that happened in my room. What if the reason why she looks so good is because something left her but didn't necessarily leave my room right. or our house? So I, 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 it was, it was like I was given some insight, and I start putting some things together. I'm like, I'm like, oh crap, maybe there's something, something left. And, and I think, you know, I wasn't, you know, I, I, I was pursuing the Lord, but I was in a lot of bondage, um, uh, a, a lot of um, hidden sins at the time. You know, a, a young teenager, you know, whatever you want to call it. I was, I was in some bondage, so I think this thing had a sort of a, a legal right to remain. I know God knows what my brother was doing. Who knows? I, I don't know. I, you know, I, you try to rationalize why is this thing here or why could it stay? And, um, for whatever reason. So, so I found out later on, cause I, I, I talked to my buddy, Tommy, I said, you know, so what, you know, what do you do to calm her down when she does this? And basically what he said, well, I just lay her on, on a bed or on the ground. And I literally sit on her like a straddler, you know, almost like an MMA guy, you know, um, um, when he's grounding, you know, grounding and pounding somebody. Um, I hold her arms down and I, and I sit across, you know, I sit on her waist, you know, butt to hip until she just calms down. And he's like, I just tell her, to, you know, it's okay. It's going to be all right. So that was, that was his method. So he, he did that on that mattress um, that was on the floor of the room. So I start putting two and two together, two and three together, what do you want to say? And um, I go, okay. And my mom's like, hey, you know, and I didn't really tell her that part. <laughs> but I just told her what was going on with me. And she goes, well, anoint your room with oil. Because I was like, you know, just anoint, you know, your, your windows and your door and whatever. And, and you know, rebuke this thing in the name of Jesus. There was another phrase, you know, Christian phrase. I didn't know what it meant. Um, but she's like, you know, I just rebuke it in the name of Jesus. You know, plead the blood of Jesus over your room and, and rebuke it. I said, okay, okay, you know. And I don't remember if she prayed with me beforehand or whatever, but but I, when I got out of the house, there is this sense of a showdown. Like just this impending, like I knew before I go to bed that night, something's going to happen. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. But, I was, but it was like a foreboding almost. So I'm, I'm up till about 11 or so. And I'm thinking about this nonstop. I'm thinking about the thing that visits me in the presence. I'm thinking, I'm like, you know what? I'm fed up. We prayed over this girl. Stuff happened. Stuff can happen now. You know, I don't have all my theology 100%, but, but darn it, you know, God's for me, right? So I'm, I'm covering myself up, and I'm getting that, that presence that, that foreboding you know again that things there and this little presence and it's tormenting me and 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 
and I just start thinking about it, and I just, you know, I'm rebuking. I'm like, oh, I rebuke the name of Jesus. I rebuke the name of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus, you know, just repeating this stuff. I have no idea what I'm saying. You know, I have no faith behind it, just saying this stuff. It wasn't like before when I prayed. And out of nowhere, to my remembrance, comes a scripture verse that I don't even remember reading, but it's, it's Philippians 4, 8. And it says, finally, brothers, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is honorable, whatsoever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think or meditate about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, this is Paul speaking to a church, practice these things, and it says, and the God of peace will be with you. That was like downloaded into my being, and I'm like, wait a minute. I've been acting defensively this entire time. I need to go on the offensive. And I just start praying for my friends. I start praying for everybody I know that doesn't know God. I'm like, Lord, I just pray that they know your love. I just pray. I, I just start praying and praying and praying for everyone and everything I can think of, every situation, my own family, myself, everything. I'm just praying for 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 the love of God and revelation of God. And, and I'm no longer worrying about the evil things. I'm praying against them by praying for others. And, and, I, and at the end of it, I, I felt so empowered and so like at peace. And I said, in the name of Jesus, get out. And um, I think it was something like, something like that. Get out or you're not welcome or whatever. So, so in the mo- so I laid and I'm, I think I was laying down at the time. And I, I put my head back. I got the sheets all into my chest, <laughs> and um, and I hear this noise. It was like this heaviness enters the room out of no- like this encroaching darkness that was kind of on the peripheral, and it and it just gathers like in this concentrated mass. And I had peace a minute ago, and then this darkness filled my. Um, it, it it started like a it looked like swirling smoke, like 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 darkness, um, uh, like a dark cloud. I don't remember if it started small or it was just there. I, I don't entirely remember. And it, it started filling the ceiling of my room, and so like the whole upper half of my room was this dark swirling cloud, like, like a storm brooding. And my lights, my lights are off. I don't have any lights on. My lights are off. Um, there's really no light coming in from anywhere, but this thing was so dark. It was, um, it was visible even in the darkness. And I, and, uh, my roof the ceiling in my room it felt like the roof of the house shudders. Like it, like it, like it, it felt like it jumped. It sounded and it felt like it jumped off its hinges. Like it, like the, the roof separated from the frame of the house. And the weirdest thing about it was for a moment, the moment that that happened, I could actually see starlight between my wall and my ceiling as if it had separated. So I don't know if, I don't know if that physically happened. I don't know if something happened in my spirit. I don't know if I left my body. 
I don't know. I just remember this incident specifically happening. I don't remember, recall if it was me, if I was in my body, out of my body. I, I don't know how, what caused it or how. But so that happens, that noise. I see starlight, and I'm like, whoa. And all of a sudden, this dark mass, almost like it, it's as if it condensed into a human form and used my roof as a springboard to push towards me. And it, it was as if it was matching or matching my, my shape in the bed. And I slept like a dead, I slept like a corpse. I slept with my arms folded. Um, or no, I think I slept with my arms to my side at that point because I was skateboarding. I had weird uh, elbow injuries and my arms would lock up if, if I didn't. And so I had my arms to the side and my, my legs together. And, and this thing is it, over me directly. But it's like spread, almost like spread eagle. But it's matching, it's, it's matching my position. And it's directly above me. And it's a humanoid shape. Couldn't tell if it was male, female. Couldn't tell what it was. It was, just, it was just black. It had been mentioned to it. It was, as if, it was as if somebody in one of those black spandex suits had descended from the ceiling, right? And they're kind of spread eagle over me. Um, and this thing shot down and like it started to descend, but it got to a point and, I, and there was this building tension um, as it's, it's happening and it's forming and it's coming down. And it, I want to say a few feet from me, all of a sudden it, it shot at me to the point where I, I actually turned my head, I think to the left, because it says it's coming down, I, I go, Jesus, because I didn't know what else to do. I was scared. And, it, and it, when I said that, it shot down at me um, uh, so fast that I turned my head because I was expecting an impact. And I, and I clenched up. And I clenched my jaw. And I was like, ah. And in like a millimeter from my face, it vanished. So I'm just like, I'm like holding my breath. I got my head to the side. I'm like almost cramping from from contracting my entire body, bracing for this impact. And I'm just like, in the name of Jesus, 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 you know, like, and it was gone. There was nothing. The presence was gone. The, the, the wickedness, the evilness, this darkness, everything was gone. Uh, my ceiling had returned to normal. It was as if nothing had ever happened. I'm just kind of recovering, laying there, still with my head to the side, slowly kind of release, kind of I'm grateful. I'm like, I'm just like, whoa, whoa. And that was it. It never came back. That that thing that used to visit me in my room never came back. I never felt that presence again. Um, the entire atmosphere in my room was different, really, from that from that moment on. Um, I used to suffer from strange, irrational fears. Um, that was gone, and this, it was it was like a final showdown. And it, I don't know, man. It, it was like it was pissed. It was like a bluff charge before it left. And uh, so that's, I think that's how that started because something got left behind and that's how it ended. Wow. So, yeah, that's, uh, 
because if I, I, I believe that I recall. So, and listen, you know, from the recording that, that I did earlier, because I want to know um, if, it, if it matches up, because I'm, I'm, I'm just interested in myself, you know, like, but that's what I recall. That's, that's um, the answer. And, and I did, I was like doing it as I'm telling you, because I could, I could almost feel my body, <laughs> like reliving it. Yeah, but no, absolutely. Ever. I mean, it definitely, it definitely, uh, hearing it the second time is just, uh, just as crazy. Uh, I, I can send you our, our original recording. It's, it, it's, you know, I can send it to you. It wasn't, it wasn't the best recording audio quality, but you can listen in on it. Um, but yeah, no, it's, man, I'll tell you that, that experience is, uh, is heavy, very, very heavy. And to experience that at, at any age, but particularly a kid, because, you know, as kids, you, you, you're dependent on your parents for protection yeah. and you have oh, this, this sense of security when you're at home and mom and dad are home and things like that. And to have this attack going on, uh, it, it can be scary for sure. Uh, did you ever tell your mom what happened? I don't think I did. Um, which is interesting. I, I never even thought about that until you just asked that right now. I don't think, I mean, I, maybe I did years later, but it wasn't like, mom, mom, you know, I, I didn't like run downstairs and like, you'll never believe what happened to me. You know, like it was, I don't, I don't think I told anybody for years. It was just like this very transcendent uh, experience of like one reality became even more of a reality and I kind of had to process it. It was so, I, I had no reference for it. You know, I, I, I don't even think I was like big into horror films or anything like that back then. Um, I, I, I didn't know how to process it. Um, it, but the spiritual world was reality in our lives for as far back as I could remember. So to me, yeah, cause I didn't know stuff like that wasn't necessarily normal. Um, I knew that it happened. I didn't, you know, it didn't happen with you know, a great frequency. I couldn't always discern maybe what was something weird or necessarily demon- demonic or spiritual, but yeah, man, I don't, I don't remember telling my mom about it um, at all um, that I can recall. I mean, maybe years later, I, I, I think I would have to, because I could, we, re- we related a lot of stories um, about the house or about the farm years later, we kind of all got together one by, you know, little by little and started putting things together, my twin and I and and my mother and was like, oh, okay, you know, it wasn't just me. It, there was a lot, right. there was a lot of there. So, yeah. You know, when I was a kid, I remember distinctly remember seeing uh, the, like this shadow on a ce- on the ceiling of my bedroom, similar thing. Like we were talking about earlier, you mentioned about having to take a nap. Uh, I remember I, I was in my room and it was the middle of the day and I was supposed to be sleeping. So I must've been having, you know, needing to take a nap. So I was young. And, uh, I remember seeing the shadow on the ceiling. It was like the, the upper torso and a head. And I just, in my mind, it looked like a figure of, you know, something, but mm-hmm. I wasn't, I, I was like, well, maybe it's, maybe it's a shadow coming from outside. And so that doubt in my mind, I don't think I ever told my parents about that, you know, because it's just like, Oh, well, I I just don't know, you know, 
what was that was and it scared me but you know it might have been just a shadow from outside and i don't i don't want to say something if i'm not sure you know and those are things that run through your head as a kid you know you, you know even though you're innocent and stuff and your family or people that you rely on for security uh, you still don't want to sound silly and you don't want to bring up something like that if it's not real you know yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I don't think like, you know, I was your typical rebellious teenager, even, even though I was having, you know, some, you know, maybe, you know, some life changing, you know, spiritual moments. So my, you know, my parents and I, we, we, we argued more than we got along, you know, that's, that's just that age. <clears throat> so I don't, you know, I don't even think I, I felt necessarily comfortable relating to her on that level, except for, you know, certain moments, because even when I told her in the car, it wasn't like, you know, mom, I need your help. This is happening. You know, it was just like, I just, I literally remembered and just vomited out. Oh, I've been having these nightmares, you know, and <laughs> it wasn't, I wasn't looking for like a resolution from her. You know, I, I was, I just told her. So, yeah. Wow. Well, uh, Tim, I appreciate you coming back on here and sharing these, some of these stories again, but, uh, you know, uh, we'll have to have you come back on to kind of, you know, talk about some of these other experiences that you had and just kind of, you know, discuss and, uh, things like that. So I, I do look forward to having you back on at some point in the future, uh, for a patron show. And just to let people know, uh, Tim, I really do appreciate your patience with me. Uh, we originally recorded your episode back in November, 2017. And it was, it, it, it was a while, it was a while ago. And, I it just got lost in the shuffle, and I, I just I, I come across it a couple months ago, and I remember messaging you saying, "Hey, uh, I still want to air your show." I just you know it it just got lost in the shuffle, and so I'm really glad that we're able to get this out now and stuff. Even though we had to re-record it, I'm glad we're getting your story out there because it's definitely one that I really enjoyed hearing. So I appreciate you coming on, man. Absolutely, man. yeah. Thanks, thanks for the opportunity. Um, and yeah, yeah, let's do that, that patron thing. Um, and if anybody, um, struggle with anything like that or whatever, you know, just want to, you guys are not alone. People are not alone. And, you know, I don't need to push a particular religious worldview or anything like that, but if there's, you know, if somebody, I'm just kind of opening this up to you, man, you know, like if, if there's somebody that needs help with stuff or something or has something going on and they need someone to talk to, uh, I'll be more, you know, you know, you can, you, you'll vet them or whatever. I'll, I'll trust you to do that. But, you know, you can, we can arrange a way to get information because, because a lot of the reason why I do this and why I even, why I even thought about, you know, agreeing to talk to you is I, I, you know, I see shows and I hear hundreds and hundreds of podcasts. I've been doing, you know, listening to podcasts for the better part of a decade. And I, I hear people they don't get the help they need or, or, or they're treated very poorly by people of the faith. You know, they're, they're, they're told, uh, there's something wrong with you or you're in some sort of sin or you did, you did something to deserve this or, or they're straight up rejected, you know, go see a psychiatrist or whatever. So I, I just putting that out there that look, you're loved. I believe that your experiences are real. And I, I do believe that you can have relief from it. Um, and, you, and you're, and you're not, you're not alone and not every, um, person who's a, a professed Christian, uh, thinks that way. So I don't know. I just, 
No, it's fine. That's absolutely fine, man. Uh, definitely, if somebody you know wants to get in touch with you, we can arrange that and uh, exchange information for you and for them. Uh, but yeah, man, I appreciate you coming back on and talking with me. Thank you, Tony. Uh, you be blessed, you and your, your family. We uh, wish you much success, man. All right, man. Take care. All right, take care. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And remember, if you've had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. That's theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the connection section, and you can reach me that way as well. I'll talk to you guys later. Take care. Stay safe. And I'll see you right here next Saturday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on The Confessionals. In your eyes there's a heavy blue One to love and one to lose Sweet divine, the heavy truth What do I want? Don't make me choose I'm